Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. Uh, it's actually uh, early evening for me. Uh, I'm here in the sanctuary at Emmanuel. Um, I'm in my usual spot, uh, but, but looking at a bunch of empty pews. This is a little uncomfortable for me, actually. Um, but we, we talked as elders in light of our services being canceled this Sunday uh, and in light of the present situation that's gripping our nation and gripping the world, we thought that it would be uh, hopefully beneficial, hopefully helpful for, for me to come and record a message that we could post online. Um, I think it can be said for all of our elders that though we're absent with you in the body, we're present with you in the spirit, and um, we really wish that we could have gathered this Sunday. If I could just speak to that, um, the, the decision to cancel service this Sunday was not a decision that we made lightly. Uh, frankly, it was a little agonizing uh, to, to, to finally uh, uh, pull the trigger on closing the services. Uh, we're doing so in line with uh, most, if not all, churches in our area, and uh, felt that it was especially appropriate to do so uh, because of the request that's been made by our governor that church gatherings, really all gatherings of more than 100 people be uh, suspended for the time being as we continue to grapple with uh, this crisis surrounding the coronavirus. And so we want to be responsible citizens. We do view this as part of loving our neighbor uh, and part of being responsive to the governing authorities. And so though we are really heartbroken not to be able to gather this Sunday, we do hope this is in the will of God. But in the meantime, we wanted to put a message uh, online, and, and that's what I'm here, here doing now. I'm recording this message for you. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to deliver a message, and um, I'm not really so sure about calling it a sermon. Um, it it don't, doesn't really seem right to call it a sermon. It's not the Lord's Day. Uh, I'm not here with an actual audience. This is a recording, and... Um, but I don't really know what to call it, so maybe we'll just call it a message. Um, uh, you, you can think of it as um, uh, perhaps what the Apostle Paul did in writing letters to people that he wasn't present with. This is an audio epistle or something like that. Um, but, uh, but in a moment, I want to deliver a message. But before I do, I want to share a few announcements. Some of what I'll share now on this recording is going to go out via email uh, in fact, I encourage you to read that email carefully, even if you listen to this message, because the email will include more information than what I'm about to share. But I wanted to share a few announcements. Then I want to just pray, uh, pray for myself here Saturday evening. Uh, if, if, if my words here recorded express the prayer of your heart Sunday morning, pray these things together, and then I'll, I'll share the message uh, uh, for you. But first, just a few announcements. Actually, the officers just met uh, Saturday uh, for lunch and uh, had a meeting together to continue putting together a plan for how we want to respond to the current crisis. And um, like I said, we'll send an email out uh, either uh, uh, Saturday night or Sunday morning, so perhaps some of you may even have read the email by the time I make these announcements. But uh, the first thing to say is that we've gone ahead and decided that we are actually not going to hold services not only on Sunday, March 15th, but Sunday, March 22nd as well. Uh, that's in keeping with the protocol of most churches. Uh, there are a variety of reasons why we felt we needed to do that, but we're going to cancel services uh, for Sunday, March 22nd, and 
Uh, I, I know it's, it's not ideal, but we're just going to have to be on standby for the time being. We can't guarantee that we'll gather on the 29th, and so we'll have to make judgments as time goes on and the situation develops. But I can tell you now that we don't plan to hold service on Sunday, March 22nd. So no Sunday school or equip class, no morning worship, and there also was a previously scheduled youth activity that evening. That's going to be canceled uh, as well. Uh, there will not be an Abide Women's Bible Study on Tuesday evening, March 17th. Uh, we're going to cancel that study for now, and um, uh, we'll, we'll just uh, give announcements as the situation develops on, on uh, Abide. Uh, that said, I am pleased to announce that we are actually going to hold our small group gatherings. Uh, so there's, there's no um, warning against gathering in smaller groups, groups over 100, of course, the governor has asked that we not meet, but the small groups are going to meet, and actually we're going to hold small group uh, this upcoming week and the week after. So for the next two weeks, though we won't gather corporately as a church on the Lord's Day, we are going to hold small group gatherings on uh, Thursday evening, March 19th, and Thursday evening, March 26th. And um, the small group leaders are going to be sending out more information about that. We'll be working out uh, finding host homes for those gatherings and all of that. But let me just say, I mean, th that basically summarizes our, our meetings and gatherings plan for right now. No services on March 15th, March 22nd, no women's Bible study on March 17th, but we will have small group gatherings on Thursday, March 19th, and Thursday, March 26th. But let me just say this. Um, we don't want to bind anybody's conscience uh, so if, if you feel that it would not be wise to gather uh, in these small group settings, we want you to feel, I think the best word, the word we keep saying with one another as elders is freedom. We want you to feel the freedom to make the best choice for you uh, and for your family and your current situation. So, so don't think, please don't think that, um, well... Uh, the, the ones who gather Thursday night, March 19th, those are the real committed Christians. <laughs> so it's no test of faith, it's no test of piety, whether or not you show up to these small group gatherings. Please don't think that way. Um, in, in fact, we would say, if, if certainly, if you're sick or showing any symptoms whatsoever, we would urge you to stay home. And then I would also say to any of our folks who are, are elderly or in uh, an age bracket that, that just statistically uh, uh, would make you more vulnerable to, to uh, the, the coronavirus, uh, feel the freedom to stay at home. Uh, don't feel like this is a time to, 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 to show your faith or prove your faith by coming out to meetings. Uh, if you have any anxiety about gathering together, we don't want you to feel any burden about coming and being part of these times. But these gatherings will take place. They will be available for you. And like I said, there'll be more information via email uh, about, about these small groups coming up and, and the calendar for the next couple of weeks. Uh, those were the announcements I wanted to share with you. And so what I'd like to do now is uh, just as your pastor, uh, lead uh, us in prayer and um, I hope that you have opportunities as families or even as small groups to give special focused time to pray. There's so much to pray for, and we know that God's ear is inclined toward us all the time, certainly in times like this. And so uh, I would like to pray now and uh, lead us in prayer. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we, we hardly know what to say in times like these. Um, not only is so much happening around us that is somewhat confusing and perplexing that could 
produce anxiety in us or fear within us. Uh, But things have moved so quickly, at least from our perspective as frail human beings, things have moved so quickly uh, from when we were last gathered together as a church family till, till now. But we know that you have a sovereign perspective over all of this. We know that our days are numbered and we know that uh, a day in our life is as a thousand years for you, a thousand years is as a day. We long to have your perspective on our lives. Father, we would just say uh, uh, up front that as we observe what's going on across our world now, knowing that you are utterly and totally sovereign, knowing that you ordain whatsoever comes to pass, that we marvel at your power. We marvel at the calamities that you have brought upon the earth. And we pray that in this we would learn something of the fear of God, that we would learn something of being still before the Lord of the world, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of our lives, who controls all these events and who can so quickly change things in a matter of hours, a matter of days. Father, we pray uh, that you would help each one of us who are your people to trust your sovereignty, to trust your sovereign care, to know that you are with us, that you are for us, that you will work all things together for our good, and that there would be something about our, our resting in the safety and security that your sovereignty affords that would be sweet to us and comforting to us and compelling to others who who perhaps look on. No doubt our society is full of fear and full of anxiety at this time. We pray that there would be a sanctified composure that exists in our hearts and in our lives as your people during this crisis. Father, we pray that you would cause us to cultivate, to fan into flame the fires of Christian hope We know that to your people, you have given us a rich hope in Jesus Christ, hope of salvation, hope of the forgiveness of sins, hope in the final resurrection, hope in the life to come, hope in paradise forever with God, Uh, but not just in all these things we look forward to in the future. We also have hope for present power and present help and present grace, present enableness to persevere and endure through trial and through hardship and through difficulty and crises like the one in which we currently find ourselves. We pray, Father, that you would help us to thrive during this period uh, with Christian hope burning brightly in our hearts. We pray, Father, that we would love our neighbors uh, in this current situation we find ourselves in. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to needs in our church family, needs in our community, needs in our world. We pray that we would all give ourselves zealously to good works uh, that show the glory of God to people around us. We pray, Father, uh, that you would be helping in these days our president. We pray for other government officials at the executive level. We pray that you would give them wisdom. They would have all the information they need and have it in a timely way such that they can make wise and good and beneficial decisions for our nation, for our world. We pray for our governor and other officials at the state and local level. We pray, Father, that you would give to them wisdom and discernment as well, and that you would really help them uh, to, to, to change and um, improve the current situation in our state and in our country. 
We pray for school boards and for universities and all the pressing decisions facing those who are involved in education as they try to keep students safe and as they try to carry on their responsibilities to educate uh, their students. We pray for medical personnel uh, and all of the complexities attached to uh, uh, health care and things like that. In these days, we pray that you would help our medical professionals. We pray for all those who have been affected by this virus. We pray for those who uh, have lost loved ones. We pray that you would bring help and comfort to them. We pray that those who have contracted the virus or are in special danger of contracting the virus, that you would minister to them, that you would bring comfort and hope to them, that you would bring your gospel to uh, brighten up their prospects and their lives to see that there is hope to be found even in sickness and in death. We pray, uh, and this is true of almost everyone in our land and in our world, we pray for all those affected economically by this tragedy. Uh, we pray for businesses. We pray for uh, various men and women in their jobs and in their workplaces. No doubt many are being sent home from work. This has caused all sorts of disruptions in various companies and businesses. Uh, there are many people who are going to have to go without wages and uh, benefits and things like that. We pray, Father, that you would bring healing and help and deliverance such that these disruptions and the hardships that come to families and to even the world's poor in a climate like this, that you would please look down from heaven and be merciful. Father, we pray for churches. Uh, we pray that something about this situation would stir your church to action that we would be the hands and feet of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would bring blessing to millions throughout the world. We pray for your churches as many are not able to gather this Sunday, not only in the United States, but in other places across the world. We pray, Father, that you would not allow Satan to have any sort of foothold, even as we are not able to enjoy the means of grace as we normally do week by week. Please give help to pastors and to church leaders. Please give grace and help to members as well. We pray, Father, that your church would be kept and guarded, that we would be safe, that we would somehow grow and be edified even as we have to be without one another's company and without the regular worship gathering uh, this Sunday and other Sundays perhaps in the future. We pray that your church would be fruitful in showing forth the hope of the Christian faith, the hope of the gospel, the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we seek to minister in, in this context. So, Father, please uh, bring deliverance from this virus. We pray that all harm and all these interruptions and disruptions would be removed and that you would restore peace and that you would restore health to our needy world. But we pray that while this virus is present among us, among our world, that you would awaken us to eternal realities, to the brevity of life, the gravity of life and death, and the need uh, for a mediator to bear us safely to God that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to you, Father. Work even in this to spread your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, uh, to start this message, um, I imagine uh, just by evaluating um, social media, things I've seen online, blogs that have been written, things on Facebook and Twitter and other platforms, talking to individual members in our churches. Um, you certainly have people who are observing what's going on 
in the world today, the panic that has gripped so many, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And um, you have people who see all that, and, and they're wondering, is this really justified? Uh, this, is, this is a virus that uh, uh, has, has uh, killed, will kill, likely less than typical flu season, and, and there are many who think, is this really such a big deal? Why is the world reacting uh, in this, this panic the way that it is? Is this really such a big deal? And then you also have people, Christians, who are taking this very, very seriously, uh, who are gripped with various fears and anxiety and uh, see this as something that's wholly unprecedented and, um, and, and very much understand uh, in, in their minds why there would be so much mass panic surrounding this coronavirus. Well, obviously, I have no expertise uh, with which to evaluate the seriousness of this virus. But here are uh, some things that are just simply factually true for you to consider. Wherever you are, as you gauge and interpret what's going on in our nation and around the world, here are some facts. Uh, as of the recording of this message, Saturday night, March 14th, uh, there are 155,000 confirmed cases worldwide. There have been 6,000 deaths as a result of the virus. The World Health Organization has declared this a global pandemic. North Carolina has declared a state of emergency along with most other states in the country. Our president has declared this a national emergency. There's presently a travel ban to and from Europe. The American stock market has plummeted over 25% in the last 30 days, eviscerating uh, over $20 trillion uh, in, in just a matter of a month. Uh, many schools and universities are closing around the country and many workers are being sent home. These are the facts. This is what is taking place. My job is not to evaluate whether or not all of this fallout is justified based on the facts. All I wish to do in this message is to speak on what ought to be the Christian's perspective with respect to crises like these. I'm talking about pandemics, uh, natural disasters, wars, other national and global crises. What perspectives would God want His people to adopt? How does the Bible speak to us in a situation like this? What resources are there within the Christian faith to shape our thoughts in relation to crises like the coronavirus? Simply put, what should our attitude be? And to, to help shape our perspective, I want to use as a jumping off point for this message, Psalm 46. Uh, Psalm 46. So I'll give you a moment to turn there, or you can even hit pause if you're listening to this on a computer or device uh, as you go and find Psalm 46. Uh, I noticed, again, on social media and in conversations with other Christians, this is a passage that has been routinely referenced in light of uh, the current crisis we're facing. Uh, Psalm 46. I'm not really going to expound this passage. I'm, I'm just going to use it as a, a jumping off point for this uh, admittedly topical message. Psalm 46 reads as follows. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, 
Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So very simply, how should we respond to this coronavirus? How should we respond to the mass panic that's gripped our world? I have six main points. So maybe you didn't think you were going to need your notes uh, listening to this message. Uh, If you want to pull out your notebook, if you want to just listen, I got six main points. We'll spend more time on the first three than the last three. Number one, let us marvel at the mighty power of God. Let us marvel at the mighty power of God. Brothers and sisters, let us be filled with wonder and with awe and with reverential fear at the power of Almighty God. No one was thinking about the coronavirus pandemic when we rang in the new year just a few months ago, at least not in America. No one anticipated that in the last 30 days we'd see more than a 25% plunge in the stock market. No one anticipated that international travel would be suspended, that schools would be closed, and that businesses would send their employees home. No one except God. He had planned it all from eternity past. He was not surprised or caught off guard. Everything in this world, including natural disasters, wars, diseases, viruses, everything comes into being and takes its course at God's command and according to His plan. He is not the author of evil. The Bible clearly states that. And yet He ordains calamity, disease, and death. And these things we're told in many places across the Scriptures, these things show forth His mighty power and His sovereign fiat. We see this in Psalm 46 very clearly. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Another passage in Isaiah 45, the Lord addresses there the pagan King Cyrus, and this is what God says to King Cyrus, Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. 
that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So, brothers and sisters, when we witness catastrophes, such as global pandemics and natural disasters and things like these, we ought to marvel at the power of God. This, this coronavirus scare that has gripped our world, this is showing forth the power of God. He alone exercises command over all. He alone is sovereign. He alone determines the course of our lives, of our nation, and of our world. We answer to Him, not He to us. You probably know uh, the story of Job, the book of Job, and all the trial and distress and peril that came upon Job that the Lord Himself allowed and even ordained. And, and, and you may know that it's in chapter 38 that, that after Job is questioning God and Job's friends are speculating as to how to interpret Job's situation, God responds out of a, a, a whirlwind. He answers Job. It's there in chapter 38 that, that we read this, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. This is God addressing Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? And, and, and God goes on for four chapters, 38, 39, 40, 41, with this ruthless inquisition, asking to who are you? to answer back to me. Do you know who I am? Do you know what my hand has done? Can you understand and, and, and do you have insight into the mysteries of providence and the mysteries of my sovereignty? And of course, Job becomes silent before the Lord and responds with humility and with silence. Well, brothers and sisters, what should our reaction to all of this be? We should say, how great and mysterious are God's ways. Are they not past finding out? Who can answer back to God? C can any of us scrutinize or examine Him? How awesome is His power? How terrible are His judgments? Let us be still before the awesome power of the Almighty God who commands the cells in our body, who says to the coronavirus, thus far shall you come and no further. I just feel something would be missed if I didn't start this message by calling us to marvel at the mysterious and awesome power of God. But of course, for the Lord's people, the fact that God is sovereign and all-powerful is most often revealed to us as a cause for comfort. Yes, awe and wonder and reverential fear, but also comfort for, for we who are the Lord's people. And so it is in Psalm 46. We read at the start of the psalm, God is our refuge and strength, 
a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. In verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so that leads to my second point. Brothers and sisters, number one, let us marvel at the mighty power of God. Number two, let us rest in the sovereignty of God. Let us rest in the sovereignty of God. I trust you know this. God is totally unchanged by all this mayhem. He knew about this virus before the world began. He presently knows precisely how many people will be infected by the virus. The full measure of people will contract the disease according to His sovereign plans and purposes, not one person more and not one person less. He tells the stock market when to go up and when to go down. I was thinking about that this week. As a kid, I played with an Etch-a-Sketch. Remember that? Hours of fun on an Etch-a-Sketch. The stock market to God is like an Etch-a-Sketch. He moves those lines up and down. If he wants to see red today, he makes the stocks go down. If he wants to see green, he makes them go up. He commands your 401k, your retirement account. He decides which airports are open and which ones will close. He controls our jobs, our schools, our family vacations. He controls our very lives. He is totally and gloriously sovereign. And those of us who are His people, we rest in that sovereignty at all times, but perhaps especially in hard times. Friends, the sovereignty of God is our pillow at night. It's the sun that warms our face during the day. It's the blazing fire at our feet and like a warm blanket around our shoulders on cold nights. For we who are the Lord's people know that nothing will befall us outside His sovereign tender care. We know that the same Bible that teaches us that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes, the same Bible that tells me that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The same Bible that tells me that I'm to cast all my cares upon God because he cares for me is the same Bible that tells me God is totally sovereign over every circumstance and orchestrates every last detail of my life, including what diseases I get, when I wake up and when I lie down, how much money will be in my retirement account when I'm 65, and on what day I will die. Church, let's dust off the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's hear these words and confess them in our hearts with new conviction. In the context of this current pandemic, let these words ring true in your heart. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, 
in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. It makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. I can rest in God's sovereignty, knowing that my life is in His hands. I can rest. And, 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 and those listening, uh, I, I just want to ask you, doesn't that change everything about your life? To know that your life, your days, your job, your family, everything is in God's sovereign hands. God is in control of it all. God's providence is orchestrating the circumstances and even the very details of our lives. And the reason that's such good news to we who are God's people is that our God is good. He's faithful. He loves us. The same God who's sovereign over all is loving, good, and beneficent toward His people. So I can rest in God's sovereignty knowing that my life in His hands. So many people in our nation are riddled right now with fear and anxiety. My believing friend, that doesn't have to be your experience. You can trust in God. You can rest in God who is working in everything to bring about your good. Uh, Throughout this week, a number of passages have come to my mind, one that has repeatedly come into my head. I'll be honest, I've I've had anxiety over a number of things this week and fears and uh, stress over various things. This is a text that has been coming into my mind. Psalm 4, verses 6 through 8. Starts this way, verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? And maybe you feel that way. Uh, No good news this week. I was telling Jenna, I've said this for a couple times this week, that that it's just all been bad news and there's there's nothing good that's come out of this. And I've just told her, I just kind of need a win. I'm just waiting for some good news. Who will show us some good? Psalm 4, verse 6. And then it reads, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Listen to verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see the safety and rest and security that belongs to those who know they're under the sovereign care of a God who has their good at heart. I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Christian, do you realize you're no less safe now than you were three months ago? The Lord knows the number of hairs on your head, or in some cases, the lack thereof. He knows the length of your days, He's numbered your heartbeats. More than that, he knows how to bear your soul safely to God. Christian, you're in his sovereign hands. 
What should our perspective be? We should rest in the sovereignty of God. Now, of course, if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, and I imagine there are some listening to this, and you're not a Christian, and not one who could have confidence that all of God's sovereign purposes are working for your good, if that's you, you should not rest at all. No, my friend, you should be very anxious. You should be frantic. You should dread everything about this pandemic. Because this virus threatens your life. And if it's not this virus, it will be something else that comes for you. Cancer, heart attack, car accident. And if you don't have Christ, who is the only one who can grant eternal life, All you have is this life and your sins and the coming judgment when you will answer to God. No, my friend, I don't encourage you to rest at all. Rather, I urge you to run to Jesus Christ and find rest in Him. For He Himself has said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want to enter into something of the rest of those who know they have their sins forgiven and that their sovereign God is watching over them and will bring them one day into paradise forever with Him? Do you want to know that rest? Jesus has come to me. You will find rest for your souls. Run to Jesus, leaving off your sins, repenting of them, putting your faith and confidence in Him and following Him. He will save you, and He will give you rest. Sin and darkness and disease and death are terrifying, but not for those who are in Christ. These things don't undo us. We rest in the sovereignty of God and in the hope of salvation through Christ. All right, that's my second point. Now the third, and we'll accelerate a little bit here. Number one, let us marvel at the mighty power of God. Number two, let us rest in the sovereignty of God. Number three, let us live in the light of Christian hope. Let us live in the light of Christian hope. The first Peter 1, verses 3 and following reads as follows. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, for you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, verse 8, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The immediate context of 1 Peter 1, uh, this passage, is the trial and persecution that God's people are experiencing. Not the same thing as our situation. God's people aren't being persecuted by this virus, but I think many of the applications of this passage are still the same. Christians are at all times, including times of trouble, equipped with a living hope that helps them to persevere and helps them to endure. 
And that hope is hope in the resurrection, hope in the inheritance that is imperishable, kept in heaven, guarded by God, hope that is more precious than gold, hope that causes us to rejoice even in hardship, hope that is set fully on the grace of the Lord Jesus. And friends, it's hope that can't be taken away. It can't wane. It cannot be threatened by moth and rust. It can't be jeopardized by a virus. It's in times of hardship that Christian hope must shine most brightly. Was it not so in the lives of those early believers as they endured hardship? Was it not so in the experience of the Apostle Paul, who even said from prison, not knowing if he was ever going to get out, what does he say? Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a man who is in hard times filled with Christian hope. So, brother, sister, I want to encourage you, enjoy, nurture, cultivate Christian hope within your own hearts. There's a hope that we have, that there's, there's an inheritance that we have, there's, there's grace and support and hope that is ours that cannot be threatened by human frailty, by sickness, by disease, by the various anxieties and fears that are gripping our world even now. We have hope in the resurrection. We have hope in eternal life. We hope in the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. And it, it is so right, so appropriate, so honoring to God that in the context of, of catastrophes and crises like the one we experience now in the world around us, to nurture and cultivate and fan into flame Christian hope. But, but then also, my believing friend, let me encourage you, to seek in these days to manifest that hope. Like let the brightness of Christian hope shine forth for others to see. Starting, I think, with with your brothers and sisters in the church who need encouragement. There are many in the church who, there's just so much about what's going on now that can be discouraging and that can induce, even in believers, various anxieties and fears. Well, we ought to support each other now. And we ought to seek to, to stimulate Christian hope in one another. But, but then also, let's seek to carry on our conversations, our communications, let's go about our jobs, our day-to-day -day, in such a way that the world around us sees something of the brightness of Christian hope set against the backdrop of a lost and hopeless and panicked world. You get what I'm saying? The, the, the backdrop is hopelessness and darkness and panic and fear and anxiety. And against that backdrop, it's like Christian hope shines more brightly. Let me encourage you, manifest your hope to the world around you. But I must turn again to my unbelieving friend who's listening to this recording and ask you, what hope do you have? Nothing about COVID-19 has jeopardized our hope in the least as Christians. But I wonder, has it affected your plans at all? Tell me, does your money seem as safe now as you thought it was? 
just a matter of hours, thousands, millions, billions, trillions of dollars can vanish. Are you sure that you're not going to get infected with the virus? And you know what they say, if you don't have your health, what have you got? Well, for, for the Christian, we answer, we have everything. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I don't have my health, I die and go to be with Jesus forever because my sins are forgiven and I belong to Jesus Christ and no one can take that away from me. But what's your answer? And what do you say to that? If you don't have your health, what do you have? But I'm not just on about money and health. My friend, what about your soul and your sins and your death and your judgment. In the face of such grave prospects, in what do you hope, I wonder? I want to invite you to come in from the darkness of the world, to come in from the cold of all your sin and shame, to come in from the frantic panic over the coronavirus, warm your soul by the fires of hope. Hope for the forgiveness of sins, for the resurrection leading to life, for paradise with God forever. That's my third point. Now, number four, let us marvel at the mighty power of God. Let us rest in the sovereignty of God. Let us live in the light of Christian hope. Fourthly, let's love our neighbors. Let us love our neighbors in the context of this crisis we're facing. The second great commandment is that we should love our neighbors. First great commandment, we're to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second great commandment is that we would love our neighbors. And all of the will of God, all the law of God is summarized in these two great commandments. I want to talk about loving our neighbors. Friends, there are many ways in which we can love our neighbors during a time of crisis like this. There are people all around us who are fearful, people who are anxious, People who are in some kind of trouble and distress as the result of this outbreak, perhaps financially, perhaps they lack access to resources they need, what should our posture be toward them? My wife was at Trader Joe's a couple nights ago, and, and, and you could, she, she's telling me this, you could just sense this panic. And it was actually a, a woman that she was walking by who was close to having, like a panic attack. She was on the phone, maybe her husband or somebody. She couldn't find what she needed, and she was having to breathe deeply and kind of heave to get oxygen, and, and she, she just didn't want to touch anybody or be near anybody because of the virus, and she just felt trapped, and, and she was just anxious and, and, and riddled with fear. Well, what should our posture be toward a woman in that situation? Well, well it should not be you know, this is really no big deal. I don't know what you're so worried about. You really need to get over it. I got some figures here, by the way, that say that, that this is really all a big overreaction. You should just get over this. That should not be our posture at all. For such people, we should listen to them. We should love them. We should seek to help them. And we should talk to them about gospel hope. This is a time for the church to rise up and be the hands and feet of the love of the Lord Jesus. The body of gospel people should run to help the hurting, to support the weak, to minister to the needs of the world. And so I would encourage you, members of Emmanuel, each Christian listening to this recording, we should all be asking, 
What practical needs will emerge as the result of this crisis? Have you thought about that? Let's stop thinking of ourselves for a moment. What practical needs are going to emerge in the lives of others as the result of this crisis? Will there be men and women in our circles who have lost wages as a result of the pandemic? Can we help them? Parents who must work but now need to care for their children because schools and daycares have closed? Elderly people who are afraid to leave their homes to get groceries, could we offer to deliver groceries for them? Do these situations not present us with opportunities to practically love our neighbors, to be like the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, to devote ourselves zealously to good works, which are, as Titus 3 tells us, excellent and profitable for people? Uh, Practical needs Uh, in a way, cry out, so to speak. Is there a Christian in the area? Is there a Christian in the vicinity? Where there exist practical needs, material needs, people who are in distress, people who are afflicted, people who need help, that's like a, a cry to Christians, come, minister, help, show forth the character of Christ. I've often shared this quote from Spurgeon. I don't have it written down in front of me, so I might get it wrong. But Spurgeon said, to me, a follower of Jesus means a friend of man. There are a lot of people in the world right now who need friends. To me, a follower of Jesus means a friend of man. A Christian is a philanthropist by profession and generous by force of grace. Wide as the reign of sorrow is the stretch of his love, and where he cannot help, he pities still. Wide is the reign of sorrow. How wide is the reign of sorrow right now? It's encompassing the entire globe. Wide as the reign of sorrow is the stretch of his love, like he can embrace, he wants to embrace needy people. And where he cannot help, and so many of the world's problems, we, we can't help. Where he cannot help, he pities still. Let us love our neighbors. Now, fifthly, we're going to marvel at the mighty power of God, rest in the sovereignty of God, live in the light of Christian hope, love our neighbors. Number five, let us pray for God's deliverance and for the advancement of his kingdom. Let us pray for God's deliverance and for the advancement of his kingdom. Let it be true as millions and even billions around the world are affected by this crisis that there were some Christians in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, who cried out to God to show mercy on people who do not know how to pray for themselves. Let us be like priests to our God and intercede for our, our fellow men and women. Let's intercede for them. Let's go to God and, and, and beseech God, appeal to God, pray to God. Look down, Father, from heaven upon the creatures who have been made in your image and have mercy. Christians everywhere should be praying, God, bring deliverance. God, bring mercy. God, bring help from heaven. Bring an end to this virus. Bring a restoration of quiet and peace and normalcy. We should pray for our world. We should pray for deliverance. But we should also, brothers and sisters, pray for our church. I don't mean our church like our local church. I mean the church, universal, missionaries around the world, Christians in China, and Christians in Iran, and Christians in Italy, and Christians in the UK, and Christians in the United States. 
we need to pray for the church. That something about this pandemic would be used of God, and it can be used of God, to bring about the furtherance of His kingdom, the spread of His gospel. Listen, there are so many opportunities before us to minister grace, to speak of gospel hope. May God move upon His people and energize and animate His people to go forth, to help the hurting, to love the sick, to preach the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. May the kingdom of God be spread even as this crisis grips our world. Sixthly, and finally, I'll read the headings one more time for you. Number one, let us marvel at the power of God. Let us, number two, rest in the sovereignty of God. Three, let us live in the light of Christian hope. Four, let us love our neighbors. Five, let us pray for God's deliverance and for the advancement of his kingdom. Number six, so important. Let us never allow ourselves to give in to fear and anxiety. There are some of us, if we're being honest, as we see what's going on around us, it might be connected to what's going on economically, things going on in the stock market or the business sector or things like that. Some of us, it might be medical things and health issues and things like that. For some, it might be a lot of the uncertainty internationally and how this is affecting kind of the globe. And if we're being honest, many of us would say, this, this has created in me a sort of anxiety. Maybe I'm even a little surprised by it. It's created some fear, some anxiety. I want to encourage you, my brother, my sister, let us not allow ourselves to give in. I, I mean, I, I hope previous points have been helpful to you. All I want to do right now is read for you Philippians 4, 4 through 7. You could turn there. I want to read this for you. This passage, again, has to be one of those passages that's just at the forefront of our minds today and over the coming weeks. This sort of, this sort of captures this blessed and holy composure that Christians could have even as others around us panic and fear. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, and then I, I want to read a quote to you. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. What a good word for us to hear. Psalm 4, who will show us some good? Here in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Can you rejoice in the Lord even now? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It doesn't say just be a reasonable person. Let it be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. It's not really clear what's meant there. It could be that Christ is returning soon. I, th I think it probably means that the Lord is near to us. He sees us. He's He's present with us. The Lord's at hand. He, he knows our lives. He sees our lives, and He's near. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Come to God in prayer and in supplication and thanksgiving. 
And make your requests known to him. And verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That, that's just a wonderful passage to keep before our minds. Brother and sister, you don't have to be riddled with anxiety. You don't have to be afraid. Don't be anxious, but, but pray. Go to God with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Unburden yourself to God and ask Him for this peace of God. Passes all understanding to pervade your spirit and your attitude and your days. May it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to close by reading a quote to you. Uh, some of you have probably already seen this quote. I saw one or two of our members post it online, actually, on uh, Facebook. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a treatise in 1948 entitled On Living in an Atomic Age. On Living in an Atomic Age. Now, you, if you know your history, you know that in 1945, uh, President Harry Truman authorized the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And um, you can imagine, it, it, many of our members grew up during the Cold War. Nuclear war has always been a possibility. My generation grew up with the ever-present threat of terrorism, 9-11. Imagine being in an age where that's, that's not actually something you think about. It's not something that's even possible. And then in 1945, the bomb is dropped. Hundreds of thousands are killed or wounded. And you realize that now some new power to bring mass death and destruction has been discovered by man. And the world is somehow changed in your mind. Well, C.S. Lewis is writing to those who, who now live in this new atomic age, and he, he issues forth this call for, for a certain sort of calm and composure. And, and I'm going to read the quote from him. He's going to talk about the atomic bomb. It's, it's three paragraphs, okay, a little bit long. But um, he's going to talk about the atomic bomb, and, and I think every time you see the, or, or hear the phrase atomic bomb, you can just fill in the blank with whatever you want, coronavirus, terrorism, whatever. Um, listen to what Lewis says here. Quote, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century, when the plague visited London almost every year, Whereas you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors and aesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering 
and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, Lewis writes. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying. Working. Teaching. Reading. Listening to music. Bathing the children. Playing tennis. Chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. And that's the end of the quote. I'll, I'll just add to what Lewis has said here to make it more distinctly Christian. If the coronavirus is coming for you, or cancer, or a heart attack, whatever it is, let our death day find us resting in the sovereignty of God, living in the light of Christian hope. Let it find us loving our neighbors, cooking a meal for a needy person, visiting a nursing home, Maybe praying together. Let it find us worshiping God. Let it find us hoping in Him, trusting in Him, looking to Him, doing the things Christians ought to do at all times. Now let me close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray that there would be something in our response to the coronavirus, something in our response that shows forth the realities that we have been born again by the Spirit of God, that we have been born again to a living hope, uh, that we rest in the good purposes and plans of our sovereign God, that we trust in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are those who know His sympathies and His love. We pray, Father, that against the backdrop of all the panic, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the trouble that you have seen fit to bring upon our world, that the light of Christian hope and that the, the light of the world himself, the Lord Jesus, would shine against this backdrop and that many in the context of this global crisis, would find faith in Jesus Christ, would find rest in Him, would come to look back on this time as when they came to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and embrace Him. We pray that you would bless your church. We pray that you would provide grace and help and support. We pray that you would help our local body. Please give wisdom to our leaders. Please give help to each one of us as we seek to face this crisis together as a family. We pray that you would be with us in the coming days, that you would guide us. We ask in Jesus' name.
Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I love you. We as elders love you. And um, we will be in touch. Um, as I said before, no service uh, on March 22nd. Sunday activities canceled. You'll see information or email about small groups that will be meeting this week and the week after. But know that we love you. We're praying for you. May God help us to live in the light of Christian hope, to rest in his sovereignty in these days. Uh, until uh, next time when we're able to be together in person, uh, God be with you.